Welcome to Produce Talks. This whole business is based on relationship and friendships. Food is darn simple. What can we do? What are other countries doing? How important it is for industry to be talking about this. We're going back to the farm. We're going back to the whole food. Okay, well, hello, everybody. I personally am looking forward to a really interesting discussion today. My name is Jane Proctor. Uh, I'm the VP of Policy and Issue Management at CPMA. And today we're going to chat with Sue Lewis, my colleague at CPMA, who is our VP of Marketing, Colin Chapdelaine, CPMA's current chair and the president of Whole Leaf, and Brian Faulkner, the president chair of CPMA's Marketing Committee and the VP of Business Development and Marketing at BC Fresh. So to get started, Sue and I are going to provide some of the key findings from two of CPMA's recent research reports to to set the stage for our conversation. I'm going to give some insight from the 2023 Conference Board of Canada report on the economic footprint of Canada's fresh produce sector. And Sue will do the same for the 2023 report by Professor Kruger and Associates on the economic burden attributable to low fruit and vegetable consumption in Canada. Both sets of information will provide backdrop to our discussion today with Colin and Brian relative to the fresh produce sector in Canada, especially in terms of the importance of the sector to the Canadian economy and an unfortunate decline in fresh produce consumption and what that means for the produce sector. And as a footnote, I would just like to point out that these two reports that I've referenced and many more research reports that CPMA has commissioned are all available on the CPMA website, cpma.ca. So if you're looking for more information, lots there for you. I'll begin with the key findings from the Economic Footprint Report from the Conference Board of Canada. The Conference Board investigated the economic footprint of Canada's fresh produce sector on the broader Canadian economy in 2022. So here are some of the findings. The fresh produce sector's total contribution to GDP in 2022 was nearly $15 billion dollars. The sector supported more than 185,400 jobs in rural, urban, and suburban communities. Total labor income earned in the economy because of the economic activity in the fresh produce sector was nearly $10 billion. Farmgate sales rose for vegetables by 11.2% to nearly $1.6 billion, and fruit sales increased by 15.3% to $1.4 billion in 2022 as compared with 2021. And overall, the fresh produce industry added a total of nearly $4.1 billion in government revenues in 2022. So we're kind of a big deal relative to the Canadian economy. But Sue, those impressive numbers, unfortunately, do not include good news on fresh produce consumption overall. So can you tell us what Professor Kruger's report showed? Sure. Thanks, Jane. So to provide a little bit of context, Professor Kruger and his associates take a look at several lifestyle factors and try to put a cost to the Canadian healthcare system based on these choices. So for the first time in 2015, they added in the lack of produce consumption as one of these risk factors. And we've repeated that same study again this past year. And unfortunately, we find out that consumption has decreased in all regions of the country. And more importantly, over 89% of the Canadian population does not consume the recommended level of fruits and vegetables. And that's up substantially over 6% from the findings in 2015. So when this is translated into the economic burden for our healthcare system, that's an increase to $7.9 billion or 61% increase from 2015. So not very encouraging numbers on that front, unfortunately. 
No, it is not what we want to hear and certainly not great for our uh, always under pressure healthcare system and increasingly so. So um, Sue and I have kind of given you an idea from a numbers perspective of what the state of the industry is in Canada. And now we're going to turn to our experts, Colin and Brian, and let's talk about what all this means from the perspective of the people who are growing, packing, marketing, distributing fresh produce here in Canada. And Colin, I'm going to start with you and say to you that perhaps we shouldn't be surprised by the decrease in fresh produce consumption since we're all made aware daily in the news and social media, et cetera, of Canada's focus on food prices uh, and the reality that our food banks are seeing surges in, in clients and big surges. So this has to be impacting how the industry is doing business and certainly how your organization Whole Leaf plans and markets your product. Is that the case? Yeah, first off, thanks, Jane, and thanks, Sue, for, for inviting me on this uh, this webinar today, this, this podcast. You know, f- affordability and food affordability, that's top of mind for all Canadians right now. Purse strings are tight, and and, and prices are definitely having an effect uh, on people's budgets. Um, the, you know, the grocery budget, what you spend on groceries, is one of the few things you can actually control. You know, your other bills, your mortgage, your car payment, et cetera, those are set. And so where can you scrimp and save? Uh, it's usually on your food and what you consume. So people are buying less. They're eating out less and trading down, looking for value, for deals. They need to save money and they need to feed their families. So, I mean, in Canada, we saw around the world, really, food inflation rise higher and faster than than people's wages have increased. and And that's kind of the crux of the matter. So... You know, for us at, uh, at Whole Leaf, we're a greenhouse lettuce grower. We're located, I'm coming to you from sunny southern Alberta today. Uh, we grow uh, sustainable, great-tasting lettuce 365 days a year here. Um, we're part of the Star Group, and Star is a major grower, packer, shipper, and importer of fresh fruits and vegetables uh, from around the world. You know, feeding the nation, it, it takes a lot of advanced planning. And what most people don't realize when they go to the grocery store is all of the thought planning that went into getting the produce on the shelf. And as a grower, we need to be planning our crops out 9, 12 months and beyond. We need to be ordering our supplies for growing, seed, doing our crop planning, doing our hiring and staffing. And, you know, we expect to sell everything we grow. So when consumption drops unexpectedly, um, you know, we have to scramble and find new homes for our products. It's not always, it's not always uh, possible. And if the trend of downward consumption continues, then you look to scale back production. And of course, nobody wants to do that. We want to be increasing. So, you know, what is our strategy around um, around this? And I mean, we we try to grow great tasting products that bring consumers back to the store that wow them. Um, products that have value for dollar. That's always top of mind. Am I getting my money's worth? Uh, but more importantly, does the product last? I mean, people want to know that if they pick something up that costs three or four or five dollars or more, um, that they put it in their fridge and then they go two days later, it's not it's not melted down that it's going to last. So, at Old if we strive to grow great lettuce. It holds up in our in our Canadian supply chain. Uh, two weeks ago, out of Alberta, we were shipping in minus fifty degree weather. If you can imagine, lettuce uh, doesn't like minus fifty degree weather, but it has to hold up in our supply chain. It has to hold up at retail and it has to hold up in your fridge. 
So when you get the product home, it's good and you can use it, uh, you can use it all week. Thanks, Colin. And it's really, really excellent points there. I think uh, maybe some of the listeners might not stop and think about in terms of all that happens before it even gets to the store shelf and, and trying to make sure that it is that really great product when it hits the store shelves. So Brian, over to you. What are your thoughts from, from the perspective of BC Fresh and, and how you're addressing what is a kind of an unprecedented time, at least in our generation? Yeah, thanks so much for uh, having me on the podcast, Jane and Sue, and uh, and good to be here with you, Colin. The from BC Fresh per, uh, perspective, we have a bit of a different point of view. Our uh, shelf life and some of our products are a lot more durable than uh, what Colin may be offering and what some of the other products in the marketplace are. BC Fresh primarily grows vintage veggies, those sort of old school things: potatoes, carrots, cabbage, and stuff that stores for a long period of time. But much like Colin and Whole Leaf, we are very uh, carefully planning. We're always planning way out. And a lot of the input costs are already baked into our product. The potatoes that we planted in March, April, and May and harvested in October, uh, September, October, and we've put away in storage, that pricing's already set. The, the fuel costs are already in there, the fertilizer costs, the seed costs, the labor costs, all those things that go into getting the product uh, into the barn, so to speak, are already in the product. And so when um, there's pricing pressures and, and prices are coming down on some things. We're seeing packaging costs are softening a little bit and some of the other input costs. Um, it's very difficult for us then to reduce the cost of the product uh, just because all those costs have already been spent. Uh, the growers have already shelled it all out. and Now they are hoping their storages last long enough to be able to recoup and get back a lot of that money. So when it comes to marketing our products, um, a lot of that is being sort of shifted around by retailer demand. We're seeing shift to smaller packs. We're seeing shift from people buying uh, 10 and 20 pounds of potatoes down to buying 5 pounds, 3 pounds, 680 grams, and all these smaller and smaller packs um, because they've got a smaller amount of money to spend at the till. And, and these kinds of shifts uh, do cause some additional problems when it comes to what packaging we need to have on hand and all these types of things. Because our packaging, as well, is planned out six, 12 months in advance. So when there's a major shift, it takes a bit more of a juggle for us to shift it around. So I think when it comes to those types of things, we've got all of our different packaging and all of our different products are sort of lined up for that shift. It's really just being able to account for it and, uh, and sort of what then the retailer and consumer demand is pushing it around. So I, th- I think what I'm hearing from both of you, and no surprise, is that there really needs to be a nimbleness within the industry. Uh, we're, we're not producing TVs or anything else that just can kind of be packaged and sit on a shelf and maybe even held for a while if the price isn't great. So uh, you've got to keep your product moving and it's got to, it's got to move in, in and arrive in really good condition. And I think we're going to talk about some of the factors that may influence and maybe beyond your control to influence it. Brian and Connie both touched on a little bit of them, but, but I think we'll, we'll start to dive into that a little bit. So, Colin, again, I'm going to start with you. Um, you took on the role of CPMA's chair back in April 2023, uh, hit the ground running and been running ever since. And, and in that role, you've participated in meetings and conferences in many countries uh, and in industry advocacy events and meetings here in Ottawa, where we're located. So question to you, do you think that our elected officials and the government departments that regulate us truly recognize the importance of the sector and support it? Great question. You know, first off, Jane, as, as chair of, of CPMA, I, I feel very honored to to represent the industry in Canada and, and abroad. 
But being in Ottawa was a real eye-opener for me to see the advocacy that the CPMA does to be in meetings with ministers and deputy ministers and key bureaucrats to see how things unfold there was is, was amazing. And and I really think our government is trying to address uh, food affordability for Canadians, but, it, but it's really not able to do it effectively. And it's some of the things Brian said, um, there are things they can't change. There are costs that are baked into the price and there are costs that we as growers have to pass along. We have no choice. We have to pass along the increases that our inputs uh, have been hit with. Otherwise, we have no growers left. It's 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 pretty simple. So those those increases get passed on, and um, the price at the retail goes up. So you know our government's effectiveness in in, in uh, mitigating food affordability or addressing food affordability, their hands are really tied. They're trying to do it. There's political um, image that that they're they're putting out there to to show they're doing things, but it really it's it's very difficult for them to have any effect. The, the government departments that we met with uh, numerous times and the bureaucrats, you know, the, they're given their marching orders from the elected officials. And so they're doing their job. They're, they've got their KPI from their boss and they're trying to hit their numbers, rightly or wrongly. You know, they execute on the government's orders. And some of our elected officials have taken really dogmatic positions to address the concerns, whether it be around carbon reduction or plastics reduction and, and food affordability. So, you know, that, that said, I don't want to be harsh, but I, I want to be realistic. And I think the government recognizes the importance of, 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 uh, of food affordability in our sector and, and produce in our sector without question. And I, you know, was with the prime minister in, in, in the uh, San Francisco meetings. And I actually said to him that during the pandemic, the liberal government helped us tremendously with getting temporary foreign workers into the country, facilitating their quick entry and managing to get our products across the border and both North and South. Um, so I, I did thank him for, uh, for that because it, 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 it did happen where they did care about what we were doing. So, you know, sure. Some mistakes were made about, but you know, made and have been made and continue to be made, but food security and availability was top of mind, uh, of course, during the pandemic. So, um, However, and last point on this one, I think I, I scratched my head a little bit um, with some of the, and I mentioned dogmatic policies that are in, in place, and particularly in the Environment Climate Change Canada camp, where the plastics issue and the compostable PLU issue, they've created this regulatory burden and this overhead on our business um, where we have to be ready for um, you know, what they're proposing, which has not been met with a proper impact assessment and how it's going to impact your industry. Um, and it's just a, really a dogmatic approach to do this. We're going to, we're going to eliminate plastic. So despite multiple meetings in multiple, uh, you know, areas with different officials, we were really stymied on things like the P2 where they did not want to listen to what we were saying. And we laid the logic out very clearly that without plastics, um, for certain items, bagged lettuce, uh, we grow lettuce, so we put it in bags, we put it in sleeves. We we had no alternatives uh, to that. Berries, um, the, the, there would be no berry industry in BC or elsewhere with a without a proper way to transport it. Fresh cut fruit, it's another one. 
So, you know, I, I think there's two sides. It was, some of it was very good in Ottawa and some of it was very frustrating. So I, I think in the end, um, being a part of that and seeing it firsthand, I, I can't say enough about, about the CPMA and how they worked and pushed this with, with in Canada and with officials in the U.S., to raise it to the highest levels, to take it to the ministers, take it to the um, the top officials in the U.S. and our counterparts in the U.S. at the IFPA and else and elsewhere, Western growers pushing this agenda, raising enough, banging enough drums, so that in the end, um, I think this issue is going to get suppressed enough that we can have a more reasoned and collaborative approach uh, uh, to take forward. Because we're not against elimination of plastics. We're, we're, we're advancing on that, but we need to do it in a way that's not going to cause food insecurity, cause business interruption, and cause people that have spent their whole lives building their businesses a hardship. Yes, and, and thanks, Colin, for noting that. I mean, that certainly, uh, we, could, we could have podcast after podcast just on that whole topic of, of plastics and the bigger topics of sustainability alone. Um, one thing I, I think that I just I want to ask you about, and Brian, I'm going to come to you too, so get ready. Um, when you think about not just the, the the more recent strain that we've the industry's been on as we're we're trying to cope with what may come in terms of plastic legislation and and policy, but broader. Um, and you talked about some really great things that happened during the pandemic, and and you know you you and and Brian both home base in BC, and you you saw a terrible situation there that. That did get addressed quite quickly, so the product continued to move when the floods occurred. Uh, but just thinking big picture, not in the middle of of these catastrophes that we've seen. Any thoughts in terms of what change might be needed to, from the government's perspective, or particular areas of focus that could ensure the ongoing success of the industry? Oh, I got an. Uh, uh, how long do we have, Jane? <laughs> I, I think overall, making food a priority. Food has to become uh, a critical uh, priority uh, at the top of the list, like getting a grain to port or uh, keeping the airports open. Uh, you know, food has to become the priority, uh, first of all. Um, that ensures unimpeded flow north and south, food perimeters. I mean, if it's, if it's, if it's considered a priority, then all of the things that I think have caused a lot of hardship. And I'll give you an example. We had some uh, cold weather in BC. All of the natural gas uh, supplying the boilers to heat the greenhouses got curtailed in, in BC. So price of natural gas went from you know three or four dollars gigajoule to thirty dollars gigajoule, and somebody's bill went from you know to, to ten times the amount. And, and, and and growers just have to absorb that, you know, getting a million dollar bill for your gas bill in, in January because they interrupted your contract. I mean, these things happen. And if, if food is considered a priority, um, those things need to be considered uh, along the way. Uh, the second thing I would say is, is ensuring success in the industry is collaborating with us, collaborating with industry before introducing policy. You know, you're going to go to... Uh, to market with something new, it's nice to have some market research on how it's going to play. And, you know, the government has not done that with um, with this latest plastics uh, initiative, the P2, 
pollution prevention ban and good intentions, but completely misguided. Uh, had they stopped and collaborated, I think we could have come to something that was going to be a lot better uh, in the end, better product that you know everybody could accept. So that would be my my big uh, second point. So I'll leave it at that. I want to leave Brian some time to to also throw some because he's got some good ones. I know working with many growers uh, all at once. Yeah, thanks for that, Colin, and, and good point. Um, you both work with growers, and and I know Brian. Perhaps yours are you have a, a bigger diversity in terms of the 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 as you say the the core crops, or I forget what you call them, but uh, but some of the the crops that we can we have been seeing for years in Canada and hope to always see. So maybe over to you, um, and and Brian, maybe you can talk to some of these things. Like what what can the government do to to ensure the success of the industry? Love that Colin talked about food as a priority talked about collaboration with the industry at the, and I would say at the outset, rather than halfway through the process of setting policy or regulations. But but over to you to, to really talk about what you see as, as opportunities for government to to continue to support industry and, and to make sure of our ongoing success. Yeah, thanks very much. And Colin made some great points. I Just to reiterate on that a little bit, that the, the elected officials and bureaucrats, they're all highly educated and well-informed people. Um, but they're still everyday consumers at the end. And, and many of them don't understand the magic that it takes to get produce to market and how this whole machine works. And that it's not just a, a snapshot in time. It's something that's happening perpetually and, and very quickly as well. It's not, we're not shipping tissue paper. We're not shipping, uh, um, hard goods. We're shipping stuff that has a limited shelf life that really needs to be handled in a, a very precise way under perfect conditions in order to make sure it lasts. I think. When it comes to how things are handled in British Columbia versus some of the other provinces, uh, the collaboration between the provinces and between the federal government when it comes to all these policies would also be something that would be uh, a huge benefit. I think there's lots of unintended consequences that drop into place when in Metro Vancouver, there's a new gas tax put in place or there's a new carbon tax put in place someplace else. And all these things layer on and layer on and layer on. A carbon tax, for example, we're not only paying it for the fuel for the tractors uh, to run the pack sheds to do some of those things. You're also paying on it for irrigation. Then you're paying on it again for the transport to get to market. And all these types of things that layers on and layers on and layers on. Uh, and when growers don't really have an opportunity to recapture that after the fact, uh, because it's after all, a commodity is a commodity. And when you mention our products, the word I like to use is vintage veggies. It's those kind of old school things that everybody kept in their cold cellar. But I think the how all these things sort of pile on, uh, the retailers have an opportunity to quickly adjust for their cost, as do food service, as do all those things. And we're seeing it on the shelf. We're seeing prices go up. Uh, and when we go to restaurants, uh, it, it's incredible how much prices have gone up. Um, but because it's a commodity still, it doesn't. we don't have a chance to fluctuate as quickly as other because it always comes down to the lowest common denominator of what somebody's willing to sell it for based on supply and demand. All of a sudden, somebody has a huge crop, prices tank out, and the growers not make enough money to even pay for the crop. They're not willing to throw it away, but they're also uh, reticent to sell it for less, less than they produced it for. Um, and when you're stuck with those types of things, it's very, very difficult. And it's very difficult to want to continue to farm. And it's very difficult to encourage your kids and the next generation to want to farm. Um, of the 35 farm, family farms that make up the ownership of BC Fresh, eight of those are century farms. So they've been at this for a while. They've gone through lots of different ups and downs. 
uh, lots of different conversations about uh, regenerative farming and all the different techniques that continue to uh, pop up. Uh, these things aren't new. It's just a new phrase. It's a new way to, to talk about something. Um, but they wouldn't still be farming on the same land for over 100 years if they weren't doing techniques that were uh, beneficial to the long-term health of the land. So when I think it comes to the provinces, the collaboration in terms of ensuring that when plastics regulations are put in place, that it's the same across the board. That unification would mean that no matter where we ship our product to, and we're not just here in BC, we ship it all over North America, that we don't have to figure out the rule for the municipality or jurisdiction that we're shipping to. That the rules are the same across the board. That the industry has been remarkable in standardizing so many things. Grade standards of products have been have been uh, standardized and harmonized throughout North America. Um, packaging and what's supposed to be on a package and how the labeling is done has been standardized across North America. The industry is really good at these things. And if we're asked how to do some of these things well, holy crap, we can come up with a ton of great ideas on how to do it well. So as Colin said, ask us before instead of after, because uh, when you ask us after, we'll have nothing but bad things to say. But when you ask us before and we're collaborative, then guess what? We'll get it done because process is a fast industry. We have to get it done every single day of the week. You can't, there's no time for sleeping. There's no time for just moving on to the next thing uh, because you're always moving quickly to make sure that there's food on people's plates at the end of the day. Very good points, Brian. And I think Sue and I are learning some new terms here. At least I am. Um, vintage veggies. I love it. Brian, I just want to say, I just loved that answer. If you're running for office, I'm voting for you. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, and it, it all goes down to regulatory burden. That's that's what this is about. You know, make food a priority, reduce the regulatory burden, uh, is stop uh, hammering farmers, and uh, I think give us a fighting chance. It's a great point. Give us a fighting chance. Changing the rules uh, in different jurisdictions. I mean, this is what could potentially happen with the, with the, with the plastics. It's like one municipality... You would have to have 10 for Canada, 10 different formats that you'd ship in, 10 different types of packaging. Like, So, yeah, regulatory burden in a nutshell. Don't change the rules at halftime. There you go. Thanks so much. Um, we've talked a lot now about regulation or cumulative burden, what government can do to support us, and the other pressures that the industry is feeling. We talked earlier, um, Sue gave us a, a heads up in terms of what we're seeing in consumption. So maybe we'll move to that and, and we can come back to one final question around the, the trade side at the end. But Brian, I'm going to turn to you. So we heard from Sue, uh, research indicates that in the inflationary times, price is, of course, top of mind for most families. We talked about that. Um, yet there are ways to incorporate produce into your meal planning, even on a budget. So how is BC Fresh messaging to your consumers around this this idea of incorporating fruits and vegetables into a budget-conscious diet? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think the the pressures are mounting all the time. And, and uh, I, part of it is that people are used to uh, buying things out of season and buying things when they're in season, buying things when they're on special, uh, buying things when they're being promoted is a great opportunity to extend your shopping dollars. Uh, uh, by shopping the flyers and doing things like that, the savings can be really dramatic. Uh, for example, uh, on the Half Your Plate website, there's a feature that runs weekly called the Fresh 20, 
which describes to consumers uh, what 20 bucks can get you. And it's done at different jurisdictions across the country. It kind of floats around between all the different provinces and all the major centers. Uh, but when those products are purchased, it also then describes the number of servings you get, the number of snacks you get, all those types of things. So you understand how far that, that 20 bucks is going to carry you. And 20 bucks is something that's really approachable. Um, it's, uh, it's sort of in the ballpark of what people's uh, weekly produce budget may be. Uh, some people have a bit more, some people have a bit less. But I think finding those things that sort of fit in that sweet spot in shopping the flyers is outstanding. I do know in talking to the team at CPMA, when they actually purchase those products in Ottawa, the non-sale price can often be double or more that $20. So the, the, the everyday price on many of those products is much, much, much higher. So watching what the ads are on buying the flyers is really a, a great way to approach it. The other part is that larger packs are still good value. To buy 10 pounds of something or to buy that slightly larger pack, to buy the family size is a really great plan. As long as you have a plan, you need a plan going into it. You can't just buy 20 pounds of spuds and hope for the best uh, because they will go bad. And then you're throwing out, you know, 10, 15 pounds of stuff that you hoped you were going to be able to use. So by having a weekly plan, doing some of that meal planning, uh, we make lots of extra stuff when we cook at home. I'm the primary shopper and the primary cook at our house. Uh, so I often make extras. I have two growing boys, so the extras don't go as far as they used to. But really, it's that by having some extra mashed potatoes, by having some extra servings of Brussels sprouts, we can ensure that they've got food to snack on. I've got lunch to take to work. We've got meals for subsequent nights of the week. Another cool way to approach is the saving your scraps. By saving your vegetable peelings and all that stuff at the end of every week and every month, uh, every day when you're peeling things, throw them into a freezer bag, store them away. Then at the end of the week or end of the month, you can make a very quick, uh, very nutritious vegetable stock. The same thing can be done with your protein scraps and things like that. We're the CPMA, so I'm going to talk about veggies. Um, so doing these kinds of things is really fantastic in stretching your budget and stretching those dollars. Uh, and it's a really a cool way to make sure that you can continue to add veggies on half your plate. And speaking of half your plate, those are some great tips, Brian. Um, Sue, do you want to tell our listeners where they can get a ton more information to help them? There's lots of information at halfyourplate.ca and the things that Brian talked about and more. Um, one of the things that we hear often from Canadians, to Brian's point, is they they bring home the food and, and it goes bad before they can use it. And often we find by talking to them that this is because they've not stored it properly. So there's great storage tips on the website to help people Bring those spuds home and put them in a nice, cool, dark place so that they're uh, they're lasting a little bit longer and uh, lots of other resources. So halfyourplate.ca for all that information. There is so much on there and lots of uh, lots of videos to uh, to really bring it home to you and really see that that uh, the activities in motion, if you will. So, uh, yeah, so check that out, everybody. Uh, lots that you can pull from there, no matter what the commodity is that you're talking about. So we're getting close to, I think we could talk about all this for, for a long, long, long time, but we're getting close to the end of our podcast. So I want to give Brian and Colin an opportunity for any last thoughts on the, on the top, on the topic of, of kind of the cleaning industry, thoughts on what's ahead, uh, anything, any musings that you'd like to, to share as a, your final word. So Colin, I'll start with you. I, I just want to circle back to the Kruger report and, you know, the main point being, Eating more fruits and vegetables, it, it, it makes Canadians healthier. So how how do we do that? I mean, that's really 
the problem we're trying to solve is how do we get people to eat more fruits and vegetables? And it's through education, it's through pro- programs. And w- one program that was particularly interested, interesting that I, uh, that I came across is the food is medicine program where, you know, access to food and nutritious food, it, you know, it's critical to health and resilience. And it, you know, it's a concept that reaffirms the connection, uh, recognizing that access to high quality nourishment is essential for well-being. And I saw programs in the U.S. that were using this, where people were provided a prescription for fresh fruits and vegetables because um, that's what the doctor ordered. And the success of that and the draw into the system and school programs as well, where um, you know we grow a lot of food. Um, and there are people in need, and and I think making it a priority, pushing it through to the system and programs, exposing people, like like uh, like half your plate to ideas, because not everybody knows how to cook. You know, I'm a soup guy. I just love taking all of my things out of the fridge on Saturday morning and making a soup. You know, so I, I love to hear that. But not everybody knows how to do those things. So it's it's an education process. It's exposing them to new ideas and. Um, and I think it just is a win-win when everybody eats more fruits and veggies. Absolutely. And get them while they're young, right? Let's get our, our young kids uh, developing good habits. Brian, final thoughts from you. I think when it comes to uh, eating more fruits and vegetables, that every little bit counts. That you know, I think a lot of people are worried that they don't, they're not hitting their 7 to 10 a day. But if you can get one more than you did yesterday and you can get one more at lunch and you can get one more at dinner, then you're making those constant changes. I think the other part is that people do get in a rut of what they like to buy. And going into the grocery store, uh, going into restaurants, but going to the grocery store and shopping for things that are on manager special, shopping for things that look good, shopping for things that, hey, I'd like to try that. Bring it home, try it with your kid, try it with your spouse, get your whole family involved to try and pick new things. Uh, I've always dragged my kids to the grocery store yeah, I got to fight with them when we get to the checkout, not to get candy bars and, and all the uh, great tasty snacks that are there looking them when they're uh, when we're paying. But I think having that uh, opportunity for them to reach out and grab something in the produce section, to grab something that they may not have tried before uh, and using it uh, because it's a really neat way to add something that you may not have tried before because there's so many cool things in the produce section and there's so many great things to want to try and eat. Um, but I, when it really comes down to it, I think the education is a big part of it. We've got some great tools on the website uh, on uh, halfyourplate.ca, uh, how to choose it, how to use it, how to store it. Those are really core things when it comes to ensuring that you know what you're going to do with the money that you spend on veggies and uh, tasty fruits too. Um, but uh, really, I think everybody works together and, and we continue to push this forward by uh, helping people make uh, easy choices to add more fruits and veggies to their plate. Well said and a nice way to wrap up on a very positive note. So thanks, Colin, Brian, Sue. Very illuminating conversation. Lots of great information there. There's a great opportunity coming up to continue your produce education and learn up to the minute what industry is focused on. And that's at CPMA's Convention and Trade Show, which is going to be occurring in beautiful downtown Vancouver. Colin will be hosting us. Brian has a pivotal role in all of the the planning. So it's from April 23rd to 25th. And the following day on the 26th, there's a sustainability summit, an international sustainability summit. So lots of of great information. And we hope we're going to see you there. Thanks, everybody. 
Thank you to Colin Chapdelin, Brian Faulkner, Sue Lewis, and Jane Proctor. And to the listeners, thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to Produce Talks at Google or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on most other podcast players. Until next time, fill half your plate with fruits and veggies, continue to seek out new knowledge, and basically never stop growing.